Welcome to The Guest Cast, the podcast that explores guest stories from real people and looks at how an interaction with hospitality during travel can affect a guest's whole life. This podcast is brought to you by Touchstay Digital Guidebooks. As leaders in the hospitality space, we want to dig into real guest experiences to learn about what really makes an impact on them, however good or bad the experience is. Introducing your Touchstay hosts, Hi friends, I'm Tyann Marsink-Hammond, and I am a vacation rental industry leader, educator, longtime host, owner, property manager, and investor, as well as the community ambassador for Touchday Digital Guidebooks. Hi, my name's Andy. I'm the CEO here at Touchday. We started Touchday to improve guest experiences. So having a podcast in which we get to hear from real guests is something I'm personally very excited about. So pack your bags and let's join your hosts and this week's guest. Thank you all for tuning in today. This week, we're going to talk to a very interesting individual called John McElligott. And he's gonna tell us uh, a couple of stories. uh, Well, one story, in fact, but I'm sure we're gonna have a couple of um, tangents that we go down whilst we hear his story. And the idea being that he's gonna focus on his guest experience. And we're going to talk about the outcomes of that guest experience as learning for those of you hospitality professionals who are tuning in. So welcome, John. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me, Andy. This is going to be a lot of fun. Excellent. Good, good. So why don't you kick it off with, uh, with a brief background of, of who you are, John, and your amazing experiences so far in life? Sure. So my name is John McElligot. I am the CEO of York Exponential. Uh, we are in York, Pennsylvania. So if you've ever had a peppermint patty, that's how everybody knows us. Um, but we were the first captain of the United States, saved the world in World War II, did a bunch of cool stuff, but everyone remembers the candy. Uh, so we are a collaborative robotics company. That's what we started life as. So these are human-sized robots that are smaller, designed to work next to people, um, not replace them. So this is kind of the first generation of this tech. And through the coronavirus, it's exploded thanks to social distancing and food security and uh, life sciences, things like that. Um, I'm also the president of the Fortress Academy. We're the world's first licensed higher education institution um, it's all accelerated education in artificial intelligence and robotics combined with traditional manufacturing with the goal of creating the first generation of robot mechanics. So we want to rebuild the middle class around robotics. Right now, it's all master's degrees and above. Um, we believe technology like robotics is a technology you can touch. So we're trying to build the world's first mech ecosystem instead of tech ecosystem. Um, my larger vision is so I actually have a real estate development company as well. I'm the lead for a $168 million innovation district here in York. Um, it's the center of our city. It'll be a, the first innovation district where humans and robots work together. And our larger mission is to bring back something called the York Plan, which was a plan from World War II um, that ended up getting adopted by the whole nation that originated in my town. Except this time we're repurposing it for robotics. So our goal is to turn central Pennsylvania into America's first American-made robotics manufacturing ecosystem. Right now, all the robots are made overseas. We think that's a national security issue. So we've been working over the last five or six years to build that here. So I personally found that segment fascinating. John has this incredible background experience and intellect with the world of robotics. And what I was quite keen to understand was how that experience led him to the Tokyo Robot Hotel and what comes out of his stay there. So you're, you're riding your motorcycle, you're going through these different countries, you don't have your robot with you because that might be just a little, you know, too much of the robot on the back of your motorcycle. What, what happens next? It's come to the end of my trip and Japan was the last stop. 
such a neat place. It's almost like everything there isn't a crazy invention. You're like, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? Why? Just everywhere you go, because I'm into robots, I decided to stay at the robot hotel. So the Tokyo Robot Hotel where everyone's a robot. Um, when you walk in, you get greeted by the, um, the bellboys or velociraptors. And I mean, it's a crazy place. If you get a chance to go there, there's no humans. Um, there's like your little concierge in your room is a little dinosaur egg that pops its head up and spins around and dances. It's funny. I mean, it was, uh, it was a neat experience. I wish the technology was slightly better because it took a lot longer to get stuff than I'd hoped. Um, and I got sick of getting scared by the Tyrannosaurus Rex that scares you every time you get in the, the elevator. So how, how do you check in with a velociraptor? When you come in, there's two velociraptors and they welcome you in Japanese and bow and then they talk to you in English. And then, um, and then as you go to get in the elevator, this big Tyrannosaurus Rex comes out of the wall. I don't know why they thought guests would like that, uh, but it's pretty terrifying. It was way cheaper to stay there. I mean, it was significantly cheaper because it was all automated. Um, like I said, it, it was a neat experience. It was worth staying there because it was cool. Um, it, it wasn't as convenient probably as a, a regular hotel. Um, the technology just isn't there quite yet. Um, so I think probably a blend would probably make more sense to have humans and robots working together. Well, yeah, because I think there's a whole bunch of learnings just from that very part that you spoke about. Um, one of the interesting things I thought was the very last statement you made, which was that it was cheaper to stay there. And I would imagine it was cheaper to stay there because they didn't have a massive overhead of people. They had robots. And I'm sure there was a big capital investment that went into that, but it allowed them to operate day to day at a much lower cost. And I wonder, do you think that that was a draw to the hotel because it was this robot hotel? And beyond that draw, that kind of unusual factor, what was the substance behind it afterwards? Was it just another regular hotel once you got used to this kind of robotic surrounding? Um, no, it, it had a, it, it was interesting because a lot of it was automated. It had a very specific hum that maybe nobody else would recognize, but I do because I'm in robotics. So like that sound of the machine, I can tell. Um, it was also very quiet until you'd hear roaring from the dinosaurs and stuff. But other than that, it was, uh, it was very, very quiet. Um, there was one human, I think, that ran the whole hotel. I think there was like one person just in case there were problems. I think, so the, the driver, I I think it been to franchise these everywhere. And I believe there's a couple more. Um, as I said, I don't think the technology was quite there. The draw for tourists, I think, was probably the robot hotel. But you have to take into account that it's changing now with TikTok and stuff like that. But the Western culture used to very heavily influence the Eastern culture. And now it's kind of going the other way. So while robots over here um, are starting to become commonplace, there's still a little bit of a novelty. But if you look at how the West views robotics and AI, um, in our movies, they're almost always the villain or comic relief. And in places like Japan and China, they're heroes. So they view robotics as very, very different within their culture. So the draw piece, it's like more of a novelty here, but there's automated things all over the place in Japan. So I think it's probably just a little closer to their culture. And the acceptance of robotics and technology, I think, is tied very closely to anime and manga. So kind of the culture they have over there of how they consume um, media the robots are one very often seen as the heroes and two, the blending of humans and machines, whether it's Gundam or a bunch of other, you know, Akira, you name it. There's all of these kind of classic manga and anime movies um, and series that kind of tie humans and machines together in a way that over here, you know, we have the Terminator and stuff like that. I think that's starting to change with things like Wally and Baymax. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, Big Hero 6 has more to do with probably now Eastern culture influencing us. 
And that might be because a lot of the technology is coming out from that part of the world, plus Netflix and streaming. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I think the robots were maybe a draw for tourists. I do actually think that maybe in Japan, it was more about the convenience and low price, just because automation in out in the wild isn't as um, rare as it is here. So overall, with your experience as a guest, with everything being so automated and not having that human touch element even there, how did that make you feel? So I stayed there for a couple of days. I don't know that I would stay for an extended period again. It'd be fine. Like if I was overnight somewhere, I would definitely do it again. It's just the price was low. It was convenient. You know, if I'm not looking for, for like necessarily a great experience, I just, I want it to be clean and efficient. Um, then yeah, the robot hotel was great. I did stay there for a couple of days. And, you know, I wish I'd stayed in some other places in Japan um, instead, um, because I think I would have got a much better experience. Like I'm all about experience unless I'm there to get in and get out. And because uh, I do a lot of keynote speaking and things like that. So if I'm just going to get in and get out and I'm paying for it myself, a robot hotel would be great. Um, very often the people that bring me out for keynotes will pay for it. Um, so at that point, I would probably, even if it's one night, I'd be like, oh, if you're filling the bill. But, uh, but I think um, I would do it again. Yeah, it was very convenient. Um, whether they'll pop up in the United States, I would have thought probably not. But the reality is, depending on how COVID goes on for and the quarantines, I think you might probably start seeing um, not only a push towards automation in hotels because humans aren't touching things, but maybe even automated restaurants, things like that. Um, I think we're probably going to have to determine how long this goes on if there's another outbreak. So I don't know that people understand um, how fast the technology's already moved. So I think probably robotics and automation will move a lot faster into the hospitality industry over the next five years, depending on the course of the pandemic. One of the things that I've picked up there, which I find really interesting, is robotics is clearly your thing and tech is clearly your thing. And that led you to choosing that hotel. Yes, it was convenient. Yes, it was affordable, but you were hooked, you know. And I, I wonder, do you think that that's important for modern hospitality professionals to have some differentiation in what they offer? I would say you either have to have. So I, I don't want to say that the, the quality doesn't matter, but um, for me, having something unique to offer is valuable because I'm big into experience. I travel so much. So if I'm not careful, it ends up being a blur and everything just runs into each other. So I do like to have unique experiences when I go to places. So I, I explore almost everywhere I go, even if I'm only there for like a night. Um, the only time that I wouldn't really care necessarily about the hotels if I'm out exploring and I just need a place to sleep. So I would say definitely that. Um, the one thing I think you'll, you'll have to find, and I think this is across the board in the human workforce, and we're kind of going to be struggling with this soon is the doubling of the minimum wage and not doubling output. I think what you're going to find is if you're going to continue to have humans, then you better have a true human touch. Like it better, you better excel at what you're doing because I can promise you if you've got workers that are lazy and sloppy, the robots are going to beat them. Like, and, and the doubling of the minimum wage, the prices dropping and increasing capabilities of robotics. It's inevitable that, that, you're not going to be able to run a mediocre business and with humans kind of just not even really doing a great job. So I think your differentiator has to be either you have some unique hook or your customer service is at such a high level um, that I wouldn't find myself getting annoyed talking to whoever's behind the desk. And I'm like, man, where's that Velociraptor? Wow, a Velociraptor. I just want to inject right here and point out what John has reflected upon. The fact that the human touch is so important to the guest experience. It, it isn't old school. It is what we crave as humans. It's how we're made. 
and that if you don't have a good experience with a human, he'd rather have an interaction with a velociraptor. That is not a good experience whatsoever. Yeah, that's not cool. I mean, that 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 phrase "Where's the Velociraptor?" just had me had me hooked. I could see it immediately how a substandard human experience could lead you to want the robot experience simply because you're not getting what you want from that human. And I think it's a real danger when we are in a service-driven business that we can start to rely too much on that, not necessarily a robot, but that automated process that stops us being great at delivering what humans are really good at, which is experiences and connections with people and reading people to understand what they want. So I I thought it was fascinating. As a property manager myself, I understand the need for automation, workflow, efficiency, but that's not always a good idea. So let's listen to more of John's story and found out why. You know what I mean? Like, get it? like I never thought I'd say that, but the reality is I have stayed in some places where I'm like, man, where's that big scary dinosaur? Get him back here. Because there have been some people that do not give a crap. But I don't think that's going to fly anymore. So I think to, to answer, as the technology gets better and faster and cheaper and people become more expensive and more entitled, I think maybe you're going to hit this nexus where um, you're going to either get an explosion of very high quality experiences and then other people are going to go under. And it's not just hospitality. Education's going through this right now, like colleges, right? Like you can't have the full college experience. So like what is really the value if you have to pay for full time, but do it remotely, you know? So I think, I think experiences will become much more valuable when you're faced with efficiency and cost. But if the efficiency and cost is better over here and the experience doesn't outweigh that, I think that's probably going to be the challenge you see um, in hospitality coming very, very soon. Does that make sense? You hit the nail on the head. It's exactly my philosophy too. I think it's, it's perfect. The, the tougher question, how would you capture the ideal stay in five words or less? Does it have to make sense grammatically or just random words? No, nope. give us anything. For me, experience is one. Um, adventure like I, I tend to like to be out and experiencing new things not just like oh that was a nice dinner but doing things that i can't do anywhere else that lead to stories like this like where i could i put myself in a weird uh position connection so i actually because i'm on the road a lot it's how i make friends and um so that for me is incredibly important um i would say um excellence so i tend to if i'm not staying at a robot hotel or somewhere super cheap I do have pretty high expectations. Um, I'm empathetic and I'm understanding, but I don't, I don't like it, especially, like I said, if I'm somewhere and I'm, there's humans and I'm trying to connect with them and they seem to not really care about me, that tends to bother me because I don't live my life that way. And I expect at least that bit of connection. And then the last one is probably, and this is the one I'm struggling with the word, so maybe you guys can help me. Um, one of the things I realized about myself Um, and the traveling was because we have this big mission we're trying to accomplish. You're not always a prophet in your hometown. And so being from here and living here, people don't always see the bigger vision, but whenever I travel and I talk to either small groups or bartenders or big groups about what we're doing, you can see their eyes light up and they get excited. And um, that gives me the ability to keep going. 
And when coronavirus locked down, I realized I got real depressed because I couldn't travel and I couldn't get that feedback and the recharging. So it's like recharging, but it's not, it's like a, and I, I get a, it's almost like I get a shot in the arm, right? Like that, I like the storytelling piece. So connection, but, but recognition. Do you know what I mean? That what I'm doing is important and valuable because when you're plowing against it and you're in it, and I, I, I don't know, I know Tian's background and I don't know a ton of yours, Andy, but as an entrepreneur, you just, you plow through and you plow through and you plow through and it's like this horrible, you know, because of Shark Tank, we've tried to make being an entrepreneur glamorous and it's miserable the vast majority of the time. It's just, it's so hard. And um, when I travel, that recognition, I guess that what I'm doing is cool and important that feeds me is incredibly exciting. And I got that from traveling, like meeting new people, going to new places, talking to big groups and coronavirus took that from me. And that's been something that I've had to figure out how to navigate. And I'm sure a lot of people have, but for me, because I was on the road so much, that lack of recognition and the feeding um, has been difficult. There's not really a big replacement for it. So it's experience, it's connection, it's validation. And recognition, you know, that, that, that what I'm doing is important. And, and very often it's strangers that seem the most excited. And I totally agree with you on that aspect of, and it's not just entrepreneurial life, it's, it's a lot of things in life, isn't it? It's, it's what travel allows you to do is to go and connect with somebody with a different perspective in a, in a different country. It, I mean, even a neighboring state, you know, somebody just has a different slant on things and that energizes you in a totally unexpected way. So um, I 100% agree again with, uh, with what you said. What's interesting, Andy, is that John told us five words for his ideal stay and none talked about comfortable beds, the fantastic interior design or anything like that. It was completely focused on his experience in the local area and the connections he made, whether it was with the barkeeper, the host, or robots. Totally, I, I, I think it's it's a it's a it's a big high five for our industry that thrives on the personal and the human connection. The fact that someone who has this heavy robotics background is looking for travel as a means to experience new things and new places. Like you said, it's more than a place to, to sleep. It's more than a head on a bed. But equally, once he's in that location, having those experiences, it unlocks the creativity he has. He likes to be able to travel to share what he's doing, talking to the bartender at the local bar, for example. And that, that um, that forum that allows him to unlock that creativity just gives him even more energy than, than he already has. You can tell how much energy he's got. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah, so I, th I thought it was fascinating. There's only one John McElligott in the world, but his type of traveler and personality, there are many others like him. So what I've learned from John's story is that we as hospitality professionals need to keep in mind that we're not just providing a space to sleep, but we're providing a space to experience the area and connect with others. And this is so important. 100% agree. It's, it's, it's a combination of um, like what we were both talking about. It's more than a head on a bed. It's a place for people to experience, to unwind, to recharge. 100% agree. Do you have a travel or hospitality story you'd like to share on the guest cast? 
If so, head to theguestcast.com, send us a brief outline of your story, and we'll be in touch. And remember to subscribe to The Guestcast on your favourite podcast app, leave us a five-star review, and say hello on our social media, at TouchStay on Twitter and Facebook, and at TouchStayWelcome on Instagram. This podcast was brought to you by TouchStay Digital Guidebooks. You can learn more about TouchStay and how they can help make your guests happier at touchstay.com.